You're now listening to the Live Different Podcast with Matt Wilson. What's up, Live Different Podcast listeners? You are about to hear another amazing episode today with Vern Harnish. If there was anyone in business who I would want to be mentored by, this guy would be at the very top of my list. I am thrilled to bring you this episode because he is someone who I've wanted to talk to for a very long time, who has written what many people consider a Bible of building a business. And if that isn't a hell of an introduction, I don't know what is. I'm just really excited to release this episode. Super proud that we were able to get him on the show and extremely grateful that he was able to share his valuable time with us. So get ready for that one. And if you're listening this week, the week that this podcast comes out, I want you to know that we are having a little sale over at Under 30 Experiences. So if you're between the ages of 21 and 35 and you want to go and see something new, be part of a community of like-minded people who want to see the world, who want to do more than just work in their short amount of days on this planet, who want to really experience life, that's what we have built over at Under 30 Experiences. So if you want to be a part of that, I absolutely urge you to check out the little deal we are running. I say little, but it is a pretty damn good one. And uh, yeah, would love to see you part of our community. As always, if I can do anything to support you as a listener, reach out to me on Instagram at MattWilsonTV. Would love to do some back and forth with you. Slide into my Instagram direct messages. I'm sorry, I even said that. I, I don't actually talk like that. I'm going to go listen to this episode. Hit me up on Instagram if you'd like. See you soon. Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm your host, Matt Wilson, and today I'm here with Vern Harnish. He is the founder and CEO of Scaling Up, a global executive education and coaching company. He is often known as the growth guy and author of several books, including most famously Scaling Up, How a Few Companies Make It and Why the Rest Don't. If you are an old school entrepreneur or startup person, you may have heard of the Rockefeller Habits, as well as something very relevant in today's entrepreneurial climate, the 14,000 member Entrepreneurs Organization, which Vern is the founder of. So Vern, without further ado, welcome. Matt, good to be on the show. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I have to say, uh, before the show, I was a little bit nervous going through my notes from the last time I really took a dive into scaling up. And it was about a year ago or maybe 14 months ago that I read it for the first time. I've read it twice since, but it's kind of like going to the, excuse me, but the guru. And I was like, oh man, I haven't been this nervous before, before something since, uh, I don't know, business school before an exam. So you'll be the, the professor today. Yeah, no worries. Hey, remember the teacher always learns more than the student. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the session for sure. That's great. Well, actually, Vern, I wanted to tell you a little bit more about uh, the business that I run. And a lot of our listeners are familiar with it if they've been 
engaged with the podcast for a long time or have read under 30 CEO for years, et cetera. So I'll tell you in 30 to 60 seconds about our company, and then we can apply some of the things to scaling up. And of course, I have questions from the book, but also just to ask you your story. So I'm the co-founder and CEO of a company called Under 30 Experiences. We're a travel company for young people ages 21 to 35. So you've probably seen different models of uh, tour operators that operate trips all over the world. So someone comes to our website and says, I want to go to Thailand. I want to go to Iceland. I want to go to France and Spain or Machu Picchu or wherever. They sign up for a group and it's all focused on this millennial audience. So that is the business that we run uh, with my co-founder, Jared. Of course, we've been in business for five or six years now, and we've scaled to this year uh, $5 million in revenue. Wow. Yeah, we made the Inc. 5000 list. Uh, we were number 801 on the fastest growing companies in America. And of course, that comes with many challenges, as you well know. So I wanted to give you a quick primer on where I come from so we can add a little relevance to the conversation. Well, first of all, Matt, congratulations. You know, the, the criteria for getting into EO is doing at least a million a year in revenue, and that puts you in the top 4% wow. of all companies. And the fact that you've gotten to 5 million puts you in almost into the top 1% of all companies in the United States. That's out of 28 million firms. And it's a little fun fact, 76% of the companies in the U.S. only have the entrepreneur as the sole employee of the organization. And I like to kid, many of those companies are overstaffed. Sure. It's a joke, but uh, <laughs> they probably would be better off getting a job than, than having the business that they do. But anyway, Matt, you've done it. You're in the 99th percentile. Not sure how you did in school, but you were absolutely an A-plus student in business already. Well, thank you. I, I think my GPA in my undergrad business education. It was it was great for the business management classes, but everything else that kind of took a back seat to having fun. So yeah, for sure. Yes. Well, and you're and what's great is you're in the business of having fun. So you've turned your passion into uh, a job, which is great. Yeah, I've gotten to see uh, quite a bit of the the world doing it, or at least the places where people say, "Oh, you got to go and see." So that's part of the fun. And I, I've got a question for you. When you were in college, did you plan on having a travel company? No. So I started uh, under30ceo.com with my still current co-founder, Jared. Okay. And so upon graduation, and we can get into the Collegiate Entrepreneurs Organization for anybody listening, Vern was there in, I believe it was in 1983 as a 23-year-old entrepreneur with Jerry Hills from the Collegiate Entrepreneurs Organization. And uh, I was involved with that program for, uh, well, I, I actually keynoted at their national conference this year, so I'm still involved. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, it's a pleasure to hear your history with the organization. But no, to answer your question, no, I had no idea I wanted to get into travel. Uh, I started this media site under 30 CEO. It took off in number of page views and visitors, of course, but difficult to monetize. And yeah, it was, it was tough getting that started. I took off and traveled and realized, oh, wait a second, this is the thing that I really want to be doing. Yeah. Well, the reason I mentioned that is 
you know, a lot of people talk about following your passion. And that's why I love Cal Newport. You know, Cal was the one who, you know, was I think one of the top thought leaders of the millennials. And Cal was the first to say, man, we got this thing, whole thing backwards. You know, when you say follow your passion, 99% of people have no idea what their passion is. Instead, what you do is you start doing something and then serendipitously you bump into the opportunity. And I guarantee if, you know, it starts working, then you get passionate about it. But if you're having a difficult time putting these travel trips together and you weren't making any money and all that, all of a sudden you'd lose your passion pretty quick. And so doing things and then finding out what works is what drives passion. It's not the other way around. And I think Cal Newport was right about that. No, and serendipitously, as it were, from under30ceo.com, I was actually invited as a blogger to come on an all-in-expenses-paid trip to Iceland to investigate the effects of climate change on young entrepreneurs' businesses. And I was like, uh, I don't even know if this is a real opportunity, but I'm going. And I got hooked. <laughs> that, and I'm reading an amazing book right now called Greatness Cannot Be Planned. And I think, you know, in Rockefeller Habits is all about setting priorities and the one page strategic plan and all of that. And, and it makes a really great point. And I agree. Objective setting is really useful in the short run. You know, it's the one or two week sprint. What do I, you know, wake up this morning? What is my number one priority today, which I was really clear about and have already achieved? You know, what do I need to get done this week? And at our weekly meetings, we set our sprints for the next week or two. And then we're clear what it is we've got to accomplish over the next 90 days. But I got to tell you, anything beyond that is really a wild ass guess. And you're better. And if you are too rigid in your objective setting, you're going to miss the real opportunities. And so it's important to really balance between being clear what I've got to get done today and leaving the door open for the real opportunities that have a tendency to come our way. And you'll only see them if you're willing to. And Vern, I always struggle with the, uh, I'm sure every entrepreneur does, with the balance between focus on the short-term cash flow yeah. versus focusing on what you think the big opportunity may be here, which the cash you're not realizing yet. Yeah, and that's the yin and the yang. So look, we're big fans of Jim Collins, and I do think you've got to be clear. What is your big, hairy, audacious goal? Where do you think you're going in the next 10 to 25 years. By the way, it doesn't need to have a deadline, but you have to have a general direction. That's the hill I'm going to take. And then you start the climb and you can't run out of money. You can get by with decent people, decent strategy, decent execution, but not a day without cash. And so you need to be constantly focused on, you know, what are the things that are going to drive cash? And that's what you did in your business. And you found an opportunity to monetize this space that you had jumped into. Sure. And, and always growing uh, along the way, which we can get into is can be a major challenge, especially when it comes to, to cash. But first, Fern, I wanted to ask you if you could yeah. briefly share your story about the journey of entrepreneurship with our listeners so that they know where you're coming from. Because you know, I know you're more than just an academic sitting up there preaching about entrepreneurship, that you have real life business experience. Well, today, our, our company's global. We've got almost 200 partners on six continents. We're working with you know, roughly 2,200 clients in any one day and 40,000 plus in total. So no, it's been a great run. 
Got an online education division that's doing extremely well, doubling every year. Made the Inc. 5000 uh, list again as a separate entity and a couple other divisions that we've got. So yeah, it's been a great entrepreneurial journey. But like you, I, I hadn't planned that. I was a mechanical engineer uh, helping grow an HVAC company while I was in college. And then I thought I was going into the nuclear industry and got hired away to help build this Center for Entrepreneurship at Wichita State University. And that's where I co-founded ACE, Association of Collegiate Entrepreneurs, then hooked up with Jerry, uh, with the CEO organization, and then ultimately pivoted into founding YEO, the Young Entrepreneurs Organization. But my dad uh, had his own company, very successful one in the 60s and early 70s. My grandparents had companies. And so I kind of grew up in this space. And so it was probably inevitable that I would be unemployable and uh, would need to go out and launch my own company. So that's the, the short version of the journey. No, that's, that's excellent. Well, uh, thank you for sharing. So then did you just have an epiphany that you had probably been seeing the same types of issues with these businesses so many times over that you had to write the Rockefeller habits? Is that correct? Yeah, well, no, it was really more haphazard than that. Now, look, what, what did drive me is the first thing I had to do was, was help bring high school students together, four or 500 every summer, to a course called Your Future in Business. And it's strange here, 30 some years later, I'm still bringing you know thousands together to sit at the feet of kind of top thought leaders and entrepreneurs to learn how to scale. So that part hasn't changed. But when I launched YEO, kind of the sister organization we were modeled after, YPO, had an executive program at Harvard. And I felt like YEO needed a similar executive program. So we ultimately partnered with MIT. And as you know, there's a lot of books on how to start up. There is, you know, an incubator on every corner, I think, in every city on the planet now. 11,000 startups every hour in the world. So we're not hurting for new companies. And there's, and I've got an, an MBA, which is supposed to teach how to run a very large company, but there really was no curriculum for the folks in the middle, the scale-ups or what we called gazelles back then. And so when I launched this executive program at MIT in 91, partnered with Inc. Magazine and the university, we really built the curriculum from scratch. And I had a chance to kind of perfect it for a decade until I launched the book, Mastering the Rockefeller Habits in 2002. So I'd been at it really for almost 15 years, and it was the culmination of everything that we had learned. Moving about a thousand pretty significant CEOs through that program that were scaling up companies. And by the way, included, you know, my first students were Brad Fell. Brad went on to co-found Techstars, which has been an unbelievable program around the world to help tech startups. Mark Cohen was in that first class, uh, had a half a billion dollar company called Daymark. And uh, Ted Leonsis was in that first class. Ted went on to team with Steve Case and they scaled up AOL until they did the wow. you know largest deal in the history of the planet when they bought Time Warner, on and on and on. Some really, really great young entrepreneurs in that first class that went on to scale things to billions. That's incredible. I, I brushed up on the first chapter of the audiobook this morning, and I heard in the foreword, I believe it was Infusionsoft, which uh, I'm a client of, of course. Yeah, Clay Mask has been a dear friend and has used our tools to scale, and he's he's up over the 100 million mark on his way to a billion now. 
Incredible. So congrats to, to Clayton. That's great. Okay, so Vern, I'm trying to decide where to go from here, but I think a lot of the listeners, they've probably at some point been in the startup phase or really considered the startup phase, but you're really focused on that that scaling up where you're not quite the larger company that someone like Jim Collins would talk about a lot more, but this, uh, forget who calls it the Oregon trail uh, from 2 million to 5 million or the black hole that sucks cash. It might be in traction or um, uh, it's written by an accountant. You you know with the reference I'm making, I'm sure. Yeah. Greg Crabtree, I think in his book, Simple Numbers. Yeah. Straight talk. Simple numbers, straight talk. Yes. Yeah. You got it. Yeah. Greg, uh, dear friend, he's actually our accountant for our company oh, no way. Uh, globally. And he wrote uh, one of the key cash chapters for us in, in scaling up. You know, I think maybe the, one of the first places we ought to go, particularly given the millennials that are listening to this. First, I would not start a company. If anyone's interested in being in business for themselves, I would buy a company. Because I got to tell you, from zero to one is really hard. And I think the the markets make you look smart or make you look dumb. And one of the biggest trends over the next decade, Matt, is that as goes the baby boom, goes the planet. It's been that way for 50 years. And right now, a bunch of these baby boomers need to exit about 3 million companies. Most of them are in their uh, late 60s, early 70s. They don't have family members that they can pass the business on to. Uh, many of them have, in a way, managed these businesses into the ground uh, using kind of 19th century management practices. And uh, what I'm recommending to my own children is when you exit college, first go work for a major company for two years. So my 22-year-old son had just got an internship with Accenture. He's graduating from the European Institute of Design in Barcelona here in a few months. Go get that global experience of a company with 400,000 plus employees and build your network, figure out what it is that you really love, and then go buy a company and take these new practices and apply it and really scale up. You're, you're going to scale much further, faster. And it's, it's the research that my buddy Noam Wasserman discovered when he was at Harvard. He's now at USC in the entrepreneurship program that these intact teams you know, you're a group in your 20s, you meet each other at a large company, you decide, hey, here's an opportunity they don't want to go after. You've built yourself a network. Intact teams that have already learned how to work together, who then leave and start a company, scale much further faster than the lone entrepreneur out on their own from scratch. By the way, it's one of the reasons why Brad failed at Techstars they require you, if you're going to come into the program, to have a co-founder. Because the research is also clear, two founders grow further faster than one, three do better than two, four do better than three, five do better than four, and then you run out of data. As long as that team really knows and knows how to work together, which is what you can sort out if you're inside another company, or you buy an existing company and it's got a leadership team already in place, that you can then just pivot. And so my buddy, John Ratliff, right out of college, launched a call center business. He ultimately used bank debt to roll up 24 call centers. He bought them from these you know, baby boomers who wanted to get out of the business and was able to sell it to a $2 billion company a few years ago. And 
And that was his journey. And I think it's a, it's a great path for the next decade. Wow. Okay. I, that's something that I had not heard put in that way. I've, I've heard a lot of people, especially in organizations like the collegiate entrepreneurs, where they say, all right, find a baby boomer who doesn't understand the technology, yeah. partner with them and make them scale. They come with the business experience, you come with the tech experience, and together you can scale up. But I hadn't considered uh, young people buying older folks' businesses. Uh, for people listening there to saying, oh my God, I don't have six or seven figures to go and buy a company with, is your advice save or raise from friends, family, and fools? You just mentioned bank financing. So what are the options out there that you might recommend? Well, John didn't use or have a penny of his own money to put into these. He went and got bank debt. Okay. And he used the cash flow from the ongoing business to guarantee the loan. And he showed the bank that, hey, if worst case, you could fire sale these businesses easier than you could real estate that had gone bad. And so it was a easily collateral opportunity that a bank was able to finance. Or you can go get friends, families, and fools money to kind of help you out. But a lot of times these owners will carry because they don't have any other option. Sure. Because, you know, they've run it. They've run it into the ground. They don't want to see all their employees have to go away. And so maybe you start by working with them or for them. And then you got a chance to take over the company if you've been able to prove yourself. And in the meantime, get a salary as part of the process. So there's a lot of ways to do it. And I think that's also the brilliance of a franchise. You know, their success rates are 80%. The startup is 20%. And so and that's the equivalent of buying a business is to buy a franchise. Then again, trying to do it from scratch. So at least consider those options. Okay, very good. And what would you tell someone who really enjoys the zero to one million struggle and being in there in the trenches because there's a lot of excitement to, around that. What would you tell those people? Read Eric Reese's book, Lean Startup, and try to get done in a few months and a few dollars what most people waste a few years and a lot more money on. That's why Eric wrote the book. It's why Brad launched Techstars. He got tired of seeing it, the young techies you know, waste all this money and all of this time when you can figure out your most viable product, minimal viable product in a few months instead of a few years. So follow the lean startup methodology. And then when you kind of start to approach that million dollar mark, uh, we'll be there, you know, pivot to our scale up stuff. Excellent. Well, uh, Vern, I know that you have already rattled off a handful of authors and titles of books. I want to let everybody know that on under30ceo.com, we will link up any resources for people to be able to find that, including, I just remember, I hadn't thought about this in years, but I interviewed Eric Reese of the Lean Startup, geez, right around his book launch, which was years ago now. And so I haven't thought about that in a long time. I don't know if I can dig that audio up, but I'd love to re-release it on, on the podcast just as a note to, to the listener. Well, and and along that line, the other book I'd encourage them to read is John Mullen's book, The Customer-Funded Business. Oh, okay. Because the other big mistake is really to go out and raise money. I absolutely don't recommend you do it. You're better off to try to find a customer. Like even if you're a tech startup or you're creating a software app or whatever, 
find your first customer. And oftentimes, if you're working for a large company and you spin out, your first customer is that company you were working for. And get them to fund those beginning times. If nothing else, if you got co-founders, one of you keep your day job and the other one then go out full time. So I would encourage you to read John's book, The Customer Funded Business, as a way then to fund this. I will absolutely go out and read this immediately because we are a customer funded in the travel business and in tour operators. We're selling stuff that comes six months from now. So we take money in. It's great cash flow. It is great cash flow. It gets really scary at times, but I bet there are a lot of recommendations in that book. So I'm going to go out and read that uh, ASAP. Yeah. And then you don't have to give up any equity. Sure. You know, right now, probably the most successful tech startup that went public three years ago was Atlassian. You know, Scott Fuqua was kind enough as co-founder to endorse the back of Scaling Up. And I remember it was 14 years ago now when he was in that first workshop I ran in Sydney. And they went public at $4.2 billion, and they still own 70% of the company. And last I checked, they, in the last 36 months, they've taken it to $20 billion. And if you own 70% of that, you know, you're the two new young billionaires of Australia. But they weren't dumb and gave it all away in the early years. So a lot of these very successful tech startups, the founders only have a few percent. Now, don't feel sorry for them if they manage to you know, go public for a few billion. Most won't. It's still a lot of money. But you know, those guys really focused on getting the customer to early on fund their scaling. Yeah, I, I can't wait to read more on that. And Vern, I, I really wanted to ask you something that everybody will be interested in, and that is ways you can find money that you did not know you had. You have, uh, I don't know how famous that quote of yours is, but I'm sure you know exactly what I'm referring to when you can go back through your books and again, find money that you didn't know you had. So would you be willing to elaborate for everyone for us? Uh, The difference between the first book, which was really about execution. When we pivoted to scaling up, we said, look, there's some things we got to wrap around that, the people piece, the strategy piece, and particularly the cash management piece, because the first law of entrepreneurial gravity, growth sucks cash. And the case study that we actually share in there is a company that's growing broke. They don't even see it. You know, their revenues are up, their margins are up, their profits up, but their cash is sucking wind. And so the book outlines several places that you can look. One of the very simple things that my buddy Sam Goodner did before he sold uh, Catapult is just once a year he sat down and he looked at every expense the company was paying, particularly recurring expenses. And it's amazing how these recurring expenses that, that somebody signed up for are continuing to suck money out of your credit cards and out of your account that you don't need anymore. And he would find tens of thousands of dollars every single summer when he would sit down and take a look at that. So that's just one example. Just in terms of cash flow, he was paying his techies twice a month. His customers were only paying him once a month. So he started billing his customers twice a month. And that fixed a lot of his cash flow. So a lot of those kind of strategies we talk about inside the business. 
Okay, excellent. And I wanted to point out to everybody that they can do this for their own personal finances because today it's so easy to sign up for your oh, $9.99 a month for Netflix. Oh, $99 a year for Amazon Prime. And yep. the list goes on and on in today's day and age. So you can you can cut hundreds, if not thousands of dollars probably per month just doing that for a lot of people. It is. I mean, everybody's got a subscription model, Matt. And and so they want to kind of get you sucked in. And sometimes you inadvertently sign up for things you're not even aware of. So reviewing particularly the recurring expenses, as you said, even personally can save you hundreds, if not thousands. Sure. And, and I wanted to actually go back to a point that is so important. And it took us a while to learn that growth sucks cash. And for a while, to give everybody a tangible example, is all we could think about is the number of trips that we ran and the number of travelers that we had. And that was not, that had nothing to do with profitability and that had nothing to do with cash flow. And you just have to keep building the team around you and, all right, well, run the trip, whatever it takes, get a couple more people on, we'll run it with six people instead of uh, running it with 15 people. And, you know, that really hurts in our model. So could you just uh, hammer the point home on why growth sucks cash? Yeah, well, there the key metric is gross margin. Everyone has a tendency to focus on revenue. But as Greg uh, Crabtree says in his book, Simple Numbers, you know, revenue is vanity, profit is sanity, and then cash is king. And we really do believe that. So I had the same thing. We were getting money in in advance for our events. And all of a sudden you see all this money sitting in your bank account. And you think, well, I can go out and hire this person and go spend on this. But you don't realize that you've now collected all the revenue. Now you have to start paying all the expenses. And I went from a half a million to a million to two million to four million, getting ready to do eight million. We're doubling every year. I'm going to be an Inc. 500 company. And then boom, 9-11 hit. And I'd been losing a little bit of money every year, which is what I thought you're supposed to do. That was the ethos in the late 90s is, you know, lose money. It was almost a badge of honor. And then I'd lost a million dollars in about 10 weeks. And I was I was out of money. And what I fundamentally realized is I was running on a 42 percent gross margin and I needed to be at 55 percent. And that 13 points made all the difference in the world between losing a little bit in part in growing or actually throwing off a lot of cash that I could continue to fuel our own internal growth. And so I know being a little technical here, but it's a number that shows up in the middle of your financials and entrepreneurs are really bad at reading, you know, their financial statements. You got to look beyond the top line and the bottom line and make sure that you've got a good gross margin that you're targeting, or you're going to grow broke. Sure. I think it was Crabtree who also said, uh, revenue is for show, profits are for dough. Mm -hmm. But you go on to say that profit is an opinion, but cash and debt are facts. And I know we're getting a little technical here, but I would like to ask you about that. So uh, when I got in that cash bind, uh, one of the things that I did as a habit we recommend is I get my cash reported to me every day. It's true in everything in life. If you want to figure out why something's happening for a reason, just follow the money. You know, we've all seen the movies where they say, just follow the money. And once I started following, 
where my cash was going, where, how it was coming in and where it was going out, I learned more, Matt, about my business than looking at the P&Ls, the profit and loss statements. And so I care more that my overall cash is moving up more than I care about my revenue and my profitability, because that's going to solve a lot of problems if I've got cash than if I don't. Great. And I will also link in the show notes for everybody a Harvard Business Review article that you always point to, which is how fast can your company afford to grow? So I, I recommend uh, that, yeah, just as, as much as well, you do. But, you know, where I first learned that was from Michael Dell. You know, I knew Michael his second year in business. He had started there, you know, University of Texas with $1,000. And in seven years, and he came to all those early ACE YEO conferences, and then ultimately became number one on our ACE 100 list of young entrepreneurs under the age of 30 after Steve Jobs had dropped off the list. And Michael went from zero to a billion in seven years, yet he was broke and he ran out of money and his board fired everyone but Michael. And that's when he brought in this guy, Tom Meredith, who was 15 years older than he was, to come in and really teach him about the numbers. And it was Tom that got Michael focused on this cash conversion cycle, the thing that this article that you're going to recommend to folks take a look at. And it's crazy how most entrepreneurs have no idea how long does it take from when you spend a dollar, you get that dollar back in your pocket through your business model. And Tom taught that to Michael. And he was able to go from like plus, you know, 63 days it took him 63 days to get his dollar back to minus 34 days. So he got a dollar 34 days before he had to spend it on anything. So he had the reverse thing. He actually generated cash the faster he grew. And that's what allowed him to do what he did then from a billion to, to 60 billion and today almost 80 billion. Vern, how often do you recommend uh, people go back and review your book or the worksheets, uh, for example. I know you're big on meeting rhythms and quarterly planning and strategy. So this is something that, of course, in my notes, I said, oh, God, I haven't thought about our cash conversion cycle in quite some time, which yeah. was, yeah, it, it'll probably be eye-opening when I, when I run the numbers again. So what's your recommendation? Well, generally, people do it on a quarterly basis. You know, we're all, we've got our kind of annual plan. Uh, tomorrow I head to our strategic planning session uh, where we're kind of planning out for 2019 and beyond. But it's important once a quarter, we're more on a trimester. Uh, we have kind of our spring, fall, and summer rhythm. And we have a lot of our clients that said, hey, things are moving so fast in our industry that two months is kind of our natural quarter, even more than three months. So a few months is when you want to kind of go back and and reset the bar. Now, if you're growing 100% a year, you're now living dog years. And so, you know, your month is more like everyone else's quarter. So just kind of ratchet it, depend on how fast you're growing or plan to grow. Okay, great. And hopefully uh, you're not aging in dog years like U.S. presidents <laughs> seem to do. But when your company is growing that fast, it's not easy. Well, and that's why you want to have cash. I got to tell you, when you have cash, you age a lot slower and you sleep a lot better. And Bill Gates, and one of the things that John points out in the book is early on, 
Bill made the decision. He wanted a year's worth of operating expense in the bank at all times. So that if he didn't generate a dollar of revenue for a year, he would still be okay. And after I ran out of cash, I adopted exactly the same. And by the way, for the first time in 17 years, we're tight on cash again uh, for a number of reasons of what happened in 2018. And it's got me nervous. And we are instituting all kinds of things to get our cash back up to where I have a whole year's of expense in the bank so that I can relax. Okay. And then where, you know, there's a delicate balance there because if growth sucks cash and you want to grow, you know, there's a certain point that we think, all right, when we're hitting this realized revenue for the year, that's when our gross profits, right, are, will be at a certain point where yeah. we'll have the operating income to do, or yeah, we'll have the money to be able to do with what we need. But if we're focused on, all right, save it, sock it away, say, you know, make sure that we have that cash saved up, then we're growing more slowly. So this is probably an age old question, but how the heck do you make that balance? Well, that's why you get the money from your customers. So David Rich was had launched a company with mystery shoppers. He was doing mystery shopping for retailers. And retailers typically pay in 90, 100, 120 days and it was killing him. And so he put a quarterly theme together around, let's go for the gold. Let's see if we can get cash in there faster. Make a long story short, large companies that often are a lot of our customers as small businesses, they are flush with cash. And he simply went to him and said, hey, would you be willing to pay for a mystery shopping campaign all up front? And he traded him out a few like free reports and that kind of stuff. But he got 50% of his customers to pay him in advance. And so the customers are what fueled his growth. In John's case, it was banks and the owners of the businesses that he had purchased were able to really fuel the cash needs that he needed. So there's a lot of ways to solve this problem, but you don't want to get a cash bind because man, that's that's frustrating. Yeah, I know the feeling. So yeah. that's a, maybe a good place to transition from some of the technical stuff in scaling up, but we're talking about also how this can wear on the entrepreneur. Yeah. And one of the things that takes up the most of my mental energy and time and resources is the people element of the business. Now, when you are a small company, we're less than 30 people. Everyone becomes really good friends. When you, you know, we spend time outside of work altogether, everybody's young. It really can get complicated. And one of your core principles, one of your top four things that every leader must make the right decisions on are people. So I, I'm curious how entrepreneurs can better learn to manage their emotions. Yeah. You know, part of it is to keep perspective. Uh, there's a book out there by Jack DeVore, Jack Founder Residence Inn, and many other hotel concepts that we're familiar with. And he wrote a book called Only Risk Money. And don't risk your health, don't risk your family, don't risk your relationships. Always try to kind of keep it in perspective. And I think you got to wake up every morning and say, all right, it's not what life did to you. It's what life's doing for you. And it's one of the big things that Tony Robbins teaches. I just attended his date with destiny 
uh, I'm always out there learning myself. And he was right. Uh, if you can view everything that's happening to you in the business as you're either winning or learning, you're not losing, you're winning or learning. And if you can just continue to learn from whatever it is that's happened, uh, that's best. So that's, that's one way. Second, look, I think it's really practical and that is meditation. You know, I hate to get into something so pedantic, but learning how to meditate for 20 minutes a day to kind of just keep perspective and get your self calmed down and keep breathing. You know, I find that when all of a sudden I'm facing some challenges, I'll check in and just realize, oh my God, I'm not breathing. I'm holding my breath. And to continue to let that breath throw, uh, flow, I think is important. So meditation is helpful. I have a gratitude journal. So I wake up in the morning and just think, all right, what are three things that I'm grateful for as kind of a way to set perspective? And that kind of stuff just calms you down. We're only risking money here. It's not you know, we're probably still going to have a roof over our head and, and we can always find something to eat at one of those free five o'clock, you know, happy hours as we did in college. And so with that, just don't load yourself up with a lot of personal expense. Stay lean always in life. You know, that's why Warren Buffett still lives in the kind of the three bedroom house he, he bought a gazillion years ago. So stay lean, particularly in your twenties, don't load yourself up with a lot of expense. And therefore, you can really have a lot of freedom to do the kind of things you need to do and, and not worry. That's great. And I'm particularly pleased that you mentioned meditation. We have done many podcasts on the subject, so we won't go too deep there. But I'm, yeah, I'm so glad that you've, that you've reinforced that point. And uh, you look great. You look like you're a practitioner yourself and you're, you're really walking the walk. Yeah, I turned 60 in two weeks, so. Wow. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I wanted to ask you about staying lean because it's easier said than done. And one issue is that small business owners and people who are in the scaling up phase don't often pay themselves properly. And so I was hoping that you could give some advice there, but then also how just not to fall into the trap of trying to keep up with the Joneses or just because, oh, my business partner is doing this, that means I need to go out and do this. Or you see other people in the company uh, decide, well, they're going to purchase a home. Well, I'm not a homeowner. What, what's, how does that affect? You know what I mean? You, people uh, just get wrapped up in these things. So uh, yeah, would you care to elaborate? Well, I just, you know, I would recommend a couple of books. I really do like uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Okay. Robert Kiyosaki's book, I think, is excellent. And one thing he points out is that your home is not an asset. It's a liability. And I think the millennials have really figured out. I know I've watched my own children who are more Gen Zs. You know, they don't want to own property. They don't own a car. Uh, They don't want to be strapped down by these big expenses so that they can really stay lean and mean. And they would rather spend money on experiences then they would stop, which is why I think, you know, your business is hitting a very important trend and, and no doubt why it's, it's growing successfully. And so I'd read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and then I'd read The Millionaire Next Door. And you find out that the folks that are really millionaires you're not aware of have this very frugal mentality when it comes to, you know, their own personal expense. 
Okay, excellent. I have not heard those two recommendations in a while. Those are two, to me, they sound like oldie but goodies, but I, I can, you can tell I'm not very old. <laughs> so. Well, and I thought, you know, I thought Kira's Hockey's book was going to be just this kind of get rich quick thing, but I found a lot of wisdom in there. And my EO4, and we decided we all invited Kurosaki to, to speak at our, our chapter meeting in Washington, D.C., and he has this game called the Cash Flow Game. And we went and played that at a couple of our forum meetings, and it really changed all of our thinking about what was an asset, what was a liability, how we ought to be handling our personal finances so that we could support our business finances. And so there's a lot of wisdom there. Okay. And while young people are are ingesting all of this information and again, scaling up offers real actionable things that they can go out and do, including yeah. these the set of worksheets, which is, is this available to, to everyone, the worksheets? Yeah. Can we drop a link? You don't have to buy even buy the book for that. Is that right? Nope. Yeah, they're free. You just go to scalingup.com and there's a bonus chapter up there. People can download on strategic planning. There's a chapter on the one-page personal plan and all of our one-page tools in nine different languages. In fact, we just came out with Mandarin Wow. a couple of months ago. The book's out now in Mandarin uh, as well. All of that's up there. We even for social sector, you know, my first two organizations were nonprofits that I built. And there are still organizations that I scaled and the principles that we teach all apply to the nonprofit as much as they do the for-profit. And so we even have a social sector version of the tools that folks can download. So just go to scalingup.com. A lot of free stuff up there. Okay, great. I, I even noticed this morning on Amazon that you're available in both Spanish and Portuguese. I know we have a lot of listeners from Latin America. So oh, that's yeah, that's that's excellent as well. So if people are trying to think about what their big, hairy, audacious goal is, and uh, you referenced Jim Collins before, where I believe this comes from, and you'd even take it a step farther, and you ask everyone to identify their X factor, and their which is their 10X or 100X underlying advantage. How can people get clear on these things? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, my favorite story is Barrett Ersick. You know, Barrett really didn't even finish high school. He got a GED, didn't go to college. He, here in Philadelphia, just started doing lawn care. But he scaled it over 10 years to 6,000 customers. Uh, his job was just make sure their grass was green. They had no weeds. He guaranteed it and you know, all the kind of stuff that we teach inside of scaling up. And then he applied to come to that executive program that I still teach in, that I founded, that we host at MIT. Now it's called EMP, the Entrepreneurial Master's Program uh, for EO members. And I had just come up with this idea of the sex factor. And I'm teaching it in class and Barrett comes up to me and he goes, you know, hey, Professor Harnish, I'm in the lawn care business. And I'm like, move away, move away kind of thing. But I said, look, what you want to do is look for what's something that takes you a lot of time or costs you a lot of money. And he thought about it. And he said, you know, it takes me about five weeks and about $350 to land a customer. They have high school students put flyers around the neighborhood and then they invite you over to measure the lawn and then you got to give them a proposal. And if both spouses aren't there, you often have to come back. And, you know, these are just the kind of practical hassles of running a business. 
And make a very long story short, he focused on how could he take the sales process from like five weeks to five days. And when he figured it out, he actually took it, Matt, to five minutes. Wow. And I remember when he launched his his new process in Baltimore, Maryland. So he went just down the road from Philadelphia. He landed 6,000 customer, new customers in about five weeks that had taken him 10 years before. And so he doubled from like 6,000 to 12,000 customers in about a month. He then caught up with execution. Then next year he launched his magic sales engine and he went from like 12,000 to 25,000 customers, caught back up execution. Now he's one of the biggest players in the Northeast part of the United States. He's getting ready to turn his engine back on and go from 25,000 to 50,000 customers. And Kemlon came along and bought him for a gazillion dollars. And he was worth more than his teacher, which pissed me off. So <laughs> I actually was very proud of him. And now I'm an investor in his new company, Holganics. Uh, where he's very clear what his X factor is. So, you know, if your competitors are taking five weeks and you can land a client in five minutes, that is a tremendous advantage in the marketplace. And, and if you can find it in lawn care, you can find it in any industry. So we've got a whole section about the X factor in scaling up. That's incredible. Well, that story hits close to home. Uh, when I was in high school, right before I went to college, I sold my 22 lawn accounts so I could go and focus on my studies. Yeah. And I even remember I talked to a, a landscaper, I don't know, a couple of years later or something, and he, he asked me what I, what I sold them for. And it was at a multiple that was not in my advantage. You know, I was an 18 yeah. year old kid, got ripped off. And I thought, oh man, I should have. Uh, should have talked to Vern first is what I'm saying now, so. Hey, you learned great lessons and you've got a $5 million company, Matt, so congrats. Thank you, thank you. So before we wrap up here, Vern, uh, I know you said you got you have kids that are not quite millennials, yeah. but I was wondering if you have any, just parting advice for anybody trying to go out and, and uh, either start a business run a business, scale a business, or transition from being an employee? Yeah. You know, I should have mentioned it right up front because I like to kind of, you know, deliver those practical ideas. But it's a very simple concept. And I learned it from Regis McKenna. And Regis was the coach to Steve Jobs early on when he was teaching Steve how to market. And market, you know, Steve went on to be a brilliant marketer and ultimately scaled up you know, after his death, the largest market cap company on the planet up until recently here. And it was a very simple idea that if you want to get anything accomplished, I don't care, it's in your community, raising money for a charity, you take a piece of paper out and you make a list of the top 25, what he called influencers or relationships that could help you scale further faster. And so I cold call Regis when I launched a Association of Collegiate Entrepreneurs, and I wanted to take this thing global. I'm just a student at Wichita State. And Regis said, well, take a piece of paper out and make a list. And he said, the bigger the names, the faster your scale. And so I'm young, dumb, and broke, as the song title goes. And I said, all right. I wrote down 1983, President Ronald Reagan. I'm going to get the president of the United States to be the first to talk about the importance of young entrepreneurs. And I wrote down Steve Jobs and Michael Dell and 
Inc. Magazine and Venture Magazine. These were the top five on my list. I wanted all of these people and the owners of these to support me. And it's crazy. I spent an hour every week figuring out how I was going to get to those people and get them involved. And Matt, we were global in 36 months. And I'm hosting the first private, you know, public speech of Steve Jobs after being fired from Apple. And I've got Michael Dell sitting next to him there. And I've got Inc. Magazine covering the event and Arthur Lipper owned Venture Magazine, still a dear friend of mine today. And we've got President Ronald Reagan agreeing to fly out and give the opening address. Thank goodness he had to cancel and had Mayor Bradley do it instead because the security of bringing a president out is a disaster. But I'm a college, I'm a kid, I'm a student at Wichita State University and pulled it off. And, and I've used that tool and we've taught that tool ever since. Whatever you need to get accomplished, you do it through others. And so make a list of the biggest names that you can get involved. And that's what you've done. You know, it's part of the brilliance of having a podcast is you can invite a lot of people that you can then build a relationship with that in some form or fashion end up being able to directly or indirectly support the scaling of your own business. And so, Matt, hats off to you. And that's my advice to to your audience. Hey, well, thank you for paving the way. I mean, I'm serious. I went to the archives of New York Times this morning and read the article, Entrepreneurs, the New Heroes, December 11th, 1985. I'm telling you, Vern, this was 13 days after I was born. This was I was 13 days old and you were in there quoted about the uh, founding of the uh, this entrepreneurs organization, this collegiate entrepreneurs organization. So, yeah, thank you for for doing what what you do and bringing together really smart people to discuss these issues. Uh, and you know, that's in the media and and podcasts, but also in the entrepreneurs organization, et cetera. Uh, and so, I wanted to to end off by letting you tell the listeners where they can get involved in the various communities uh, that you're involved in. Yeah. Well, I think you mentioned one, you know, so if you're still in college, the Collegiate Entrepreneurs Organization, uh, EO, the Entrepreneurs Organization has an accelerator program. So if you're only doing, you know, a few hundred thousand and you're not at the million mark to become a member, you can get into their programs and they can, it's based on our scaling up tools and Rockefeller habits. And and we've got a very high success rate of helping those companies then get up to the million mark so you can become a member of EO. And then there's a lot of those kind of just CEO type organizations locally, because again, the way you scale is through others. And there's no reason. The reason I founded the organization from the very beginning was a good friend of mine, Joe Mancuso, who said, it's okay to be independent, but no reason to be alone. And so don't do this thing alone and go out there and get some help and go to scalingup.com. Again, we've got a bunch of free stuff up there to help you. Excellent. Well, we will link up the resources on under30co.com for everybody. And uh, Vern, thank you very much. It was a pleasure. You got it, Matt. Good luck. Thank you.